guys, welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. My name is Eleni. And I'm Jeffrey. And today we're going to be discussing the penultimate episode of season three, which is called Jeffrey. Here comes the sun. Sun is an offspring, not the planet. Yes. And it's a play on words on the Beatles song, Here Comes the Sun. The sun is a star, not a planet. Okay, that's what I meant. I meant star, planets, whatever. I mean... (laughs) When I was writing the title down in my notes, I actually wrote sun, S-U-N, instead of S-O-N. So I think I was thinking of the Beatles song. What's your favorite Beatles song now that we're here? Um, I kind of subscribe to some of the school of thought that they're a little overrated, even though I appreciate their cultural contribution. But, um... My favorite would probably be either Here Comes the Sun or Obla Di Obla Da. Oh, that's a great song. <laughs> and why is Obla Di Obla Da one of my favorites? Because when I was in elementary school, um, our like we, we had like two gym teachers and one of them was young and she was really fun. And she would play this game with us called Obla Di Obla Da. And it was every time we would have to run around the gym to that song. So now I think of I think of her whenever I hear that song. Oh, that's a great song. <laughs> um, before we talk about the episode, Jeffrey found an article that he would like to share with us about Jess. Yes, since we're on the topic of Jess, because as everyone, or maybe you don't know, um, this episode, season three, episode 21, served as what they call a backdoor pilot for a spinoff that was supposed to star Jess, which did not get picked up by the WB. Um, So while I was researching that, I found this other article um, from Bustle that was written in 2016 in preparation for the Gilmore Girls revival. Because I find that when Netflix first announced A Year in the Life, all like the entire Gilmore Girls fandom just like went into total mode of like, this is what I want to see and like, this is what's going to happen and I want this to happen. So there's a lot of, if you look now and you research it, there's a lot of articles and discourse about what diehard fans wanted to see. I don't know if it ended up being what what we saw, but you can tell they were, they were hopeful. Yeah. So, yes. So this article that I found is called Jess Mariano is the BF Every Feminist Should Date. And it was written by Amy Roberts and dated February 15th, 2016. So I thought I would read it. It's not very long. And I thought it was very well written and articulates a lot of the opinions that I have about the character. And I think maybe a lot of what Team Jess feels towards the character. So here we go. I'm going to be completely honest here. Ever since Milo Ventimiglia revealed that Jess Mariano is in the Gilmore Girls revival and starring in three of the four episodes, no less, that brooding hot mess of a character has been on my mind ever since. This isn't an admission that a woman who who turns 30 in less than a month is proud to make, but it's the absolute truth. It also comes down to more than simply swooning at the potential for Rory to rekindle her romance with the man who who was basically her best boyfriend ever, or thrilling at the thought of a grown-ass Jess scowling frustrations at the world from only half of his lovely mouth in that battered, bitter jacket of his. Bitter biker jacket, I should say. I don't know why it's a bitter jacket, but it looks, he's, he's a bitter. There's a part of Jess and a very big part of the relationship he had with Rory, which feels familiar to my own experience, and I feel an intense need to defend every aspect of that. Same. 
I appreciate that there's a subsect of Gilmore Girls fans who, who detest Jess, and I can easily understand why. He could be obnoxious. He was un- he was he wasn't dependable, and his unpredictable, damaged character gave him irrational, impulsive traits, which could be heart wrenching to those who cared about him and those who were ultimately pushed away for their affection. The truth is, though, even for his failings, and perhaps because of his failings, Jess was possibly one of the best boyfriends that Roy could have had at that time. Though his impulsive nature could be brash and unreliable, it also made him spontaneous and exciting. I would have given anything as a teenager to have a boyfriend who sprung me with last-minute tickets to see the distillers. Dreamboat. Though he carried the insufferable baggage of a damaged cynicism with, with, with him wherever he went, it was these qualities which made him a realist within a town of surreal optimism and daydreamers. Though volatile, he was also resolute, and though wary of the trappings of emotional investment, he was also carelessly romantic. And you know what? That's hot as hell. Also agreed. As a character, Jess was essential for pushing Rory out of her comfort zone and for making her realize her own power, desires, and capabilities as a woman. Prior to Jess, Rory was emotionally immature and dangerously naive at a crucial time when her life was set to enter the new demanding phase of college. Knowing Jess gave Roy the harsh dose of reality that she sorely needed and, frankly, helped to mold her into being a tougher, more assertive version of herself. For instance, it's doubtful that Roy would have ever had the guts to play Logan so cool at the start of their relationship without Jess's influence or that she would have figured out how crucial it can be to take risks in order to evolve. Whether those risks yield positive or negative results, such as dropping out of Yale or stealing a yacht, is a completely different story. Jess was a gateway boyfriend, one who introduced her to the fact that life is a balance of good and bad, and that you have to not only be brave to follow your heart regardless of the potential results, but also be prepared to face the disappointment, heartache, and frustration that life can spit back at you when you dare to care enough about something. I dated a lot of Jess types in my teenage years and early 20s, and though the majority of them drove me excruciatingly insane, or completely broke my heart to the point of wondering if I would ever actually recover, I appreciate the lessons that each and every one of them taught me. Most of these guys weren't bad people, and they weren't horrible boyfriends either, but they were young and impulsive, and they allowed problems from their past to influence their present in a way which was suffocating. Though fleeting, I count many of these relationships as being integral and making me to the empathetic, tough, and gutsy woman that I am today. I still speak to many of these boyfriends from time to time, and I like to think that my heavy-handed, overly emotional influence may have pushed them to help figure out their strength too, and to drop some of the baggage which was holding them down. We all deserve to have relationships with friends and lovers who challenge us to be the best we can possibly be. And that process can be painful whether our hearts get broken in the process or not. As such, I'm waving a big Team Jess banner for the Gilmore Girls revival, and I'm holding out for the smart, poetic, and creative part of the character to have devoured all the toxic parts of him. Furthermore, I want the woman he helped Rory to become to find kinship in the identity that Jess has grown into, like a strange love letters in the post, finally finding their way back to the sender. I suspect that Rory and Jess will have matured into being exactly the right characters at the right time for each other when the revival starts up again. For those of us who are grateful to the smart, creative, and difficult heartbreakers of our youth for making us the badass women we are today, this would be the ultimate tribute and perfect closure. Thoughts? Yeah, I don't agree. <laughs> you don't agree at all? I mean, I agree with some parts, but I don't agree with a lot of it. <laughs> okay, let's discuss. Um, so I think we talked last week about how Jess is going through a lot of shit. Yes. And so that part where she says that 
Jess was the boyfriend that kind of made her realize the world is not very idyllic and like gave her a reality check, let's say. Mm -hmm. So I think there's two extremes. You can either be very shielded and like look at the world through rosy colored glasses and like everything is great and stars hollow. But then you can be the Jess extreme where you shouldn't be having to deal with all this bullshit at 17 years old. You should just be able to be a kid, right? Yeah. So, like, just leaving Rory and, like, giving her that reality check that life isn't always roses and peaches. Mm-hmm. Like, I get what she's trying to say, but no 17-year-old should be having to deal, or even 16-year-old when he first gets to Stars Hollow, should be having to deal with his parents not loving him. Mm-hmm. And, like, a condition for having a roof over your head. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. Yeah, okay, it helps him grow kind of thing. But I don't think that... I think this is glossing over the fact that he was really dealt a shitty hand. Mm -hmm. And that, like it or not, the way he treated Roy wasn't always great because of that shitty hand. Yeah. So, yes, did she learn from it? Maybe. I mean, we don't really see the remnants of that. Mm-hmm. We, we all but forget about Jess until he makes his appearance again in season four, you know? Yeah. Um, That thing about her being ballsy with Logan is Jess is doing. I don't see that at all. I don't think she said it was Jess is doing. I think it was her, inf- like, Jess's influence having dated him, having, like, dated someone like Jess in the past gave her this kind of confidence yeah well see i don't get that because just because you dated somebody who treated you like shit doesn't mean you thank them no i don't think she was referring to just treating her like shit i think he was i think she was referring to um like not the you know i think i think what she's trying to say is that like now rory is more um able to speak her mind kind of thing yeah. And go into relationships, well, not cautiously, but go into them knowing what she wants instead of always relying on what the per- the guy wants. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, with Jess, she was always very reluctant. She didn't want to push him. She didn't want to talk too much. Um, but see, that's another thing. Like, I don't think you thank somebody for being closed off. No, but I think what she, I think the the point that she's trying to make on a larger scale was that in the like in the grand scheme of things I think she was looking at it from the point of view of Jess and Roy as adults in the revival like the yet to have been seen revival and I think she wanted to think of their relationship in the past tense in a sense of how did this you know at once romantic and then you, you know tumultuous relationship like how did that affect our lives in the in the long run yeah listen I I I get it. I definitely think in terms of the revival, especially considering where we left things off with the two of them in season six, mm-hmm. I think there was a lot to go off of going yeah. into the revival. So looking at it in terms of what we would want to see in the revival, I, I do agree with certain aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with what you're saying about how you like no 16, 17 year old chef be dealing with that amount of baggage. Yeah. I think maybe her perspective, I, I don't want to put words in her mouth. Um, maybe but we I think should maybe, interview her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on our podcast, Amy. Um, 
both Amy's. Let's get Amy Roberts and Amy Sherman Palladino at the same time. Pipe dream. <laughs> um, I, again, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I think maybe her perspective of having dated a lot of Jess type men, either in like her late teens and early twenties was kind of like that obviously influenced her in a similar way. So I think maybe she was thinking along the lines of the boyfriends she knew who are a little bit older who had baggage and like wasn't really thinking in the context of like this was a child with a shitty upbringing who shouldn't have had to have gone through that and a lot of his anger and cynicism was rooted in his shitty childhood we're left to presume right right so like I, I don't disagree with what you're saying in terms of you know no child should have to deal with that but I think she's also think, thinking of Jess and Roy's relationship in a certain past tense that's saying like you know how did this influence these people as adults now in the long run yeah I get it and I just um I don't know it's a little bit I know we we like to (laughs) how do I verbalize like when you look at it after when you hear that after watching the episode that we're going to be talking about now um and then thinking about what could have been in a spinoff show Mm-hmm. Um, because we have to kind of assume that between the time that Jess leaves and goes to California and between the, and between that time and the time where he comes back for his mom's wedding and then ambushes Rory. Yeah. He's not in a good place, right? No. Because, you know, he's living with, at one point he's living with like four other guys. He's a messenger. He's sleeping on the floor. Like he looks dirty and grimy and whatever. Um, so Knowing what's happened pre-California, mm-hmm. knowing what happened season four, um, so he's not in a good place. Yeah. And then you have to kind of fill in the blanks for yourself of what happened. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that in that period of time, Jess would have necessarily been a good person. Yeah, like, I kind of see what you mean in terms of, like, Rory was maybe a bit young to have experienced that level of adult. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, he was already going through shit. Mm -hmm. And then whatever happened in that period of time, he was going through more shit. Yeah. And, like, I don't think that that's, like, you don't need that shit as a, a, you don't need that from your partner. No, and especially, like, when you're 17... Yeah, and, exactly. Like, be a kid. Yeah, or like... an adult, whatever, you know what I mean? Even when, um, like she even mentions, you know, prior to Jess, Roy was emotionally immature and dangerously naive at a crucial time in her life was set to enter the new demanding phase of college. Um, I wouldn't, like, emotionally immature, yes, because look at her mother. Yeah. I wouldn't, say dang- I wouldn't say dangerously naive. Like, I feel like we're all a little naive when we enter, you know, college and the first phase of adulthood. So, okay, I am... Well- yeah, so maybe like think- a, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a bit harsh to say that like he was the best boyfriend best kind of boyfriend he she could have had at that time like maybe a couple years later like maybe if she had a Jess type during the during like the Logan years I could see her argument maybe standing up a bit more but I think I do agree more with you in terms of she was a bit young to have that level of adult cynicism and you know being that jaded is a bit you're a bit young to be that jaded at that time I mean- you know. Exactly, but even 
look at all the adult characters that we see in this show that still clearly have issues, you know, and don't know how to deal with them. So mm-hmm. how do you expect a 17-year-old or 16-year-old to deal with them? And let's just remember also that the show starts when Rory's 15. Yeah. So I guess it's easy to say that she's naive. She lives in a small town and she doesn't know anyone else but her small group of friends. And she's 15. Of course she's naive. Yeah. And also, also, (laughs) like you said, I think anyone going into college, university, whatever you call it, you have this idea of like, now I'm an adult and everything's going to be great. And then life kind of knocks you down. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like there's, I feel like that, 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 um, that phase of life knocking you down is more or less unavoidable no matter how prepared you think you are. So I think it was realistic, obviously, for the show to show how much Rory fell down in, you know, seasons four, five, and six. Yeah. So, like, I think I'm going to stand by what I said of maybe a Jess-type boyfriend would have been more beneficial to her in season five instead of season two and three. Because, like you said, she's a child, and I'm sorry, you shouldn't really be, you know, preparing that intensely for life and adulthood when you're 17. Rory spent a lot of time preparing academically, and then we see that she didn't prepare a lot for the practical street smart side of adulthood. And that's just realistic. And I think a lot of people get mad at Rory for being dumb and or just, you know, um, what's the word? Like self-centered in that way. But it's kind of like, what did you expect? You know, she spent her whole life being perfect academically. Like, obviously, one side's going to overtake the other if you spend so much time on your on your books and your studies. Right. And I think the idea that because what I what I get from the article is um, the the author saying that Jess kind of prepared her for real life by by shoving real life issues in her face. I think like, again, like in the long run, like maybe. But when you're 17, like it's a bit. So that's what I'm going to say. Like, just because like, listen, I've gone through some shit when I was 12, 13, 14, you know, mm-hmm. Um and I've had people tell me, well, that probably made you stronger. Yeah, but it would have been nice to also have a childhood. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get what you mean in terms of the fact that people, and like, people say retroactively, like, oh, that must have made you stronger. Like, it's one thing to say that to an adult, because you're, like, you're an adult now, and you can glance back on it and think, like, oh, going through that at that time helped me become more of a badass woman, as this article says. Like, yeah, yes, we can. A, now I'm a 28-year-old than when I was, like, let's say somebody would have told me that when I was 17. It's like, yo, mm, no. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. Like, yeah. it's hard. To, it's hard. It's easy to say that to an adult. Like, oh, that, like, what happened a couple of years ago to you must have made you into the strong woman you are today but it's an it's a you wouldn't ever say that to a 14 year old like because you want a 14 year old to have a childhood and to like finish being a child before you have to face the dark gruesome cruel ugly any other words like this reality of life you know yeah no I get it um I will say though I think when we leave Jess and Rory when we see them for the last time in season six, last time together in season six, mm-hmm. I think that that Jess, yeah, who's patient, who's understanding, um, who like is clearly disappointed with the fact that Rory's in a relationship, but he's like, you know what, it is what it is. Um, and even revival Jess, who's like keeps encouraging her, 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, great feminist Jess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like on the one hand, I would, to- and you even said like, why would it? Why would I choose like season two and three Jess over season six Jess? Because obviously he's become much more of a of a of a grown up in season six. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's just you know this this quality of season two and three Jess where he's just impulsive and like adventurous and any you know any you know quote unquote dangerously naive person kind of gets drawn into that I think but as an adult it's like mm, no yeah. <laughs> so I see both sides and it's nice to discuss these things because without your perspective I might not have considered the fact that hey she's still 17 when this happens like that's a bit early to be facing these issues exactly so I might have to reread the article on my own just to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't necessarily agree 100% either. And well, who knows? We'll sh- maybe we'll have another interview podcast where we talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll share the link on our social media in preparation for this episode so you can all read it and tell us your thoughts. Yes. Yeah, Shall I think we it's dive into the episode. Yeah. Let's do it. So here comes the sun. Episode 21, second, well, before last episode of the season. Yes. Um, scene opens up with the girls in Weston's. Yes. They're practicing their phrases for Europe. Yes. So it's the first indication that we get that this Europe trip is a go. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, we had the flashback episode where they're talking about it and saying that they're going to backpack. But now we actually know that they're going. Mhm. And uh, my question to you is, would you ever bring a phrase book? Well, I would never be going backpacking in the first place. I don't know if I said this earlier, but let's just make clear now. I would never be going backpacking. Um, but I think if I were to go to Europe, I would. I don't know. That's a good question. I'd have it handy. I wouldn't like bring it everywhere, but maybe I would have some kind of dictionary or phrase book with me. Honestly, my biggest pet peeve when I've traveled around is people just assuming that everyone speaks English in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've been with a lot. I I, um, I remember when I went to Austria. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we, we did, my friend and I had done our research beforehand, and we we knew that a lot of a lot of the country didn't speak English. Like there's some European countries that because they get a lot of tourism, there's a lot of places that do like a lot of places with people that do speak English at least a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I remember when we went to Austria, we said maybe it's better if we book a tour with an English guide. Um, yeah. So that we don't get lost. You know what I mean? <laughs> but my biggest pet peeve, there was a lot of people on that tour, like not just American, but Canadian as well. That were like, oh, why don't they speak English? And it's like, because you're in that country, motherfucker. Yeah. God damn, I was so annoyed. <laughs> that's like a very North American, yeah. like, that's snobbery. That's very, like, we're the center of the universe, speak English. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I didn't bring a phrase book, but, I mean, I learned a couple of words, and I did have my app to try and get through, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I was just, all this to say, like, thank God for technology now, because same thing when I went to Italy a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And I had uh, my translator on my phone, thank God. But um, just don't assume that everybody speaks English, please. 
Yeah, and I think like obviously in the in the years before smartphones and apps, like it was probably a good idea to at least, like I said, have one with you. Like maybe sure. you could at least research where you're going to be going ahead of time and think like, okay, they might not speak English. Like let's learn a couple of words or how to say what we need to say kind of thing. So yeah, but I, I mean, know. I think it's if naive. you're going to go to a country with no, where no one speaks English, like be prepared. But that's the thing. And I think it's naive of them to say like, we're going to learn all the phrases beforehand. So we don't have to bring the phrase book. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a bit like, like so many different countries. That's never going to happen. No, as usual, they're dreamers. I know. But, yeah, but, I mean, if you are, if you are backpacking, good Lord, do not bring the Facebook. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways, um, then Lane comes in with her college brochures. Poor Lane. Poor Lane. Like, you want to hug her. Like, so hard. <laughs> because she says that she's trying to make the best of it. Yeah. But no. <laughs> <laughs> no, sweetie. No. <laughs> so this seven-day Adventist um, university is... Um, by the way, I don't know where it is because there's none in Connecticut. Interesting. So you have to assume that she would have been going out of state, but it's also fictional, so you get it. Yeah, it's fictional because she's also living at home, so I don't know how she yeah. could go to another state and still live at home. There's one in Massachusetts, but other than that, they're they're more in the South. Big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so her seven-day Adventist college has a curfew, which is at 9.30. Um, it's segregated, so girl park and boy park. 9.45 if you're going for your master's. Oh, thank you for the extra 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, you can work off your demerit points for having listened to a Rolling Stones CD. <laughs> But good news, that's no longer grounds for expulsion, so... Oh, my God. Poor Lane. Poor Lane. So you just think about, like, the quintessential college experience where it's your time, especially in in the states where most people go out of state Mm -hmm. or at least live in a dorm. Yeah. And you're like, it's my time to kind of be free, set my own rules, go out when I want, whatever. And, like, you learn as you go, right? I remember the first time I could set my own bedtime. I'm like, I'm going to stay up forever. And now I'm like, I'm in bed by 10. Uh, <laughs> but it's your time to kind of be free and explore. Who imposes a curfew on a college student? I know. Like, not even the fact that they impose a curfew. It's that, like, there's there's such, like, just structured, rigid, strict rules around like things that don't really matter like you think that what because you're going for your master's you you deserve an extra 15 minutes like no honestly that when I heard that I was like oh it's because they're probably doing more studying in the library so they give them an extra 15 minutes to run back home exactly <laughs> yeah it wouldn't even be for partying it'd be like you do you, you need more time to study so you get an extra 15 minutes yeah I don't know so uh, listen I don't know about um, actual Seventh-day Adventist schools. I know there's a bunch around the world that are owned by the Seventh-day Adventist church. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to kind of think that they're not segregated anymore <laughs> and uh, not as extreme, shall we say? I would hope. I know there's one in Canada, in Calgary, actually. But like, I'm not surprised they still exist. I'm just like, I would hope they are a bit more with the modern times yeah a little bit more inclusive i hope (laughs) 
let's not look under that rock. So it'll probably just upset us. Probably, yeah. Um, but you, yeah, you do have to feel bad for Lane. Um, the fact that she can't even stand up to her mom and say, "Hey, can I go to another school?" <laughs> and um, she's like, at this point, remember, based on what happened at the party, she's like so intent on pleasing her mom and not rocking the boat again. Yeah. And I think as we, you know, we've like jumped the gun so many times with, with the Lane storyline, but like as we know, based on the events that happened in season four, like it just, it wasn't going to work out going to this rigid, ridiculous nightmare of a college and living at home. Like she, there was no way that she could keep up the charade forever. And I think it, it's, it's really satisfying for me as a viewer when it finally is just over with. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, the only thing I do know about the Seventh-day Adventist church mm-hmm. is that um, they're very much into diet. Interesting. In terms of, like, diet and health, and they try and keep kosher and vegetarian. Hmm. So I guess that that explains Mrs. Kim's, like, soy muffins and, like, her, her weird foods. Yeah, because, like, I, w- I, didn't, I didn't think that was, like, specific to Koreans, but I thought, like... It was had something to do with Mrs. Kim's specific beliefs. Yeah, but I I, I do know that about. Um, I also think they observe the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. I should do more research into this. We're never prepared for this shit, but anyway. We're not. I mean, I think that's something that would require a bit more research, even if you're I watching research. <laughs> Well, speaking of research, ma'am, I did do some research on the Jess spinoff that this episode was supposed to launch. Okay, let's hold on before we get there. Because I have a lot to say, as I'm sure you all know. I also have a lot to say. Okay. Um, so Luke, Luke goes to the house to tell Lorelai that Jess is gone. Yeah. And... Um, Lorelai doesn't want to tell Rory right away because she has a lot going on in her life, which I understand. You don't want to upset her. But I think the whole scene where Luke is trying to play it off like he doesn't care Mm -hmm. is really sad. It's sad because he's like, he's saying like, oh, whatever. He's 18. I I tried to help him see how see how well he does with that attitude in the real world. And then a minute goes by. He's like, like, good riddance, like whatever. I couldn't help him. He'll figure it out on his own. And then that switch right away from that anger to I failed him. Yeah. Is so fucking sad. It's just a knife to the heart because you know that you know that Luke deep down cared about him and loved him, but just like for the upteenth time, he did not know what to give him or how to give it in terms of yeah. love and support. So yeah, my my heart is breaks for him mm-hmm. because you're like, okay, yeah, you didn't want this. It was thrust on you by your sister, but you know, you do what you can because it's family and that's what family does and you try your best, but he's already an angry 16 year old when he comes to you and you try and tell him he has to stay in school. You give him a job, you encourage him, but you know, you're not a dad. You don't know. No. You know, you haven't had practice all your life. You've been living by yourself. You've been kind of a hermit, as Lorelai calls him, you know? 
And honestly, I think back to the like Jess's first appearance in season two when Lorelai tells him, like, you have no idea what you're getting into. And he's, he says, I don't need your help. And she says, yeah, you do. And I'm like, that just was such a foreshadow and so accurate for the entire like two seasons that we that we first see Jess. Absolutely. And I think, um, I don't know, it's just, it's really sad because you know Luke cared about him as much as he drove him crazy, as much as they always fought and banter, like it was more bantering at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, even the way Luke handled the whole situation of when he found out that Jess was going to Walmart instead of school. Yeah. Instead of confronting him about it, like being a parent and being like, absolutely not, you can't do this. What mm-hmm. does he do? He tells him. Um, well, you know, I know you're working a lot, so I'll give you a raise so that you can spend more time with Rory because <laughs> he doesn't want to confront the situation head on, right? Yeah. And then when that doesn't work, he's like, I know, I'll steal his car. <laughs> like, he was so not equipped to deal with a kid. A no, like don't, like, don't even just ask him, like, what's going on? Just, no, I'm going to steal his car so he can't get to work. Yeah, and then I'm going to play it off like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> but, like, ugh, no. So, absolutely, I think he tried his best. And I think it really did hurt him when he left. I think it also hurt him because um, maybe he started to have regrets about what he said to him during their last conversation. Yeah. I think about that a lot. I think, well, a lot to relax, Eleni. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm keeping myself up at night. But, no, I think about that because I'm like, you know, their last conversation was super heated, and he's like, he told him, you have to go. Yeah. And I think that maybe it was said in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't obviously going to kick him out on his ass, right? No. But maybe Jess, maybe Jess took it as, he's given up on me, so I do have to go. Mm-hmm. And then Luke maybe starts to think, oh, fuck, maybe he left because I said that, but I didn't really mean it. But maybe I did. Like, it's just a lot of conflicting emotions. Yeah. And I think you can tell by Jess's, you know, diminished spirits when he gets to California. Like, he can tell that Luke is just one or he thinks at least that Luke is just one more person who's given up on him. Yeah. And one more person, I think more than anything, I think it's he starts thinking that it's one more person that he's let down too. Yeah, there's a lot going on in his brain at this time, and it's really, yeah. it's really sad to to watch. And I think it's like more than anything, he didn't want to let Luke down, you know? Yeah. Um, because I think in his mind, it's like one thing letting your mother down. My mother's a flake. She's a whatever. What does he say? My mother's a basket case or whatever the fuck he says. Yeah. Like it's one thing letting her down in his mind. I feel like. But to let Luke down, who opened, like, who had no obligation to him and, like, opened his home and his heart, mm-hmm. I think Jess also feels terrible about that. And that's something that we get in season six, the redemption, where you finally get this moment where Jess and Luke, um, I guess, finally understand each other. Yeah, and they've, like... We're thinking way ahead. <laughs> yeah, and they've, but by that time, they've, uh, there's obviously been many, like, many years and time has passed, and I think they've been able to see... Kind of like what I was talking about with the article that I read, like when by the time you're an adult, you think like, oh, all of that shit that I went through when I was younger, like, yeah, I was probably too young for it. Yeah. But it helped me become the strong adult I am today. Not to gloss over the fact that it was just too much too soon when you're a kid. But I think in season six, when Jess and Luke have that reunion, it's they you can tell in their expression that like all is all like time has worked it all out. Yeah. 
like it's water under the bridge because I think they both realize at that point they both made mistakes. They both did things wrong. But like, what are you going to do now? We're adults. It's OK. We can move on. Yeah. Um, OK, so then we we kind of go back and forth in this episode between what Jess is doing in California and what's going on with the girls in Connecticut. Yes. And um, so Jess gets off the bus. I can't believe he took a bus to fucking California. But anyway, <laughs> um, in his ridiculous fucking leather jacket. It's like I'm surprised he didn't like just burst into flames and no, then take it off. You're on the beach. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But anyways, um, Jess goes to his father's house. Yes. And he meets his father's girlfriend. Sasha. Who is also Anna in season six. And I just have to say, I let and I again, I did research for this for today's episode, so you all have to just listen to my wonderful knowledge and expertise. Um, the actress who the actress name is Sherilyn Fenn. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just wanted to have that in my notes for some reason today. I could have just said the actress. But I wanted to say that um, I thought that Sherilyn Fenn was much better as Sasha than as Anna. I think, yeah, well, listen, number one, I think it's because everyone hated Anna. <laughs> Not even that. I think the, I think the actress was just, the, like, the actress had this natural spunk to her because I've seen we, I've seen that actress in other roles she was on Friends and a couple of other shows I think she, she just has yes yeah, she was um, she, and, um, she and the actress who played Sherry were both on Twin Peaks yes that's true um I just think that she has this natural charm and spunk to her and I think it come it came through a lot more naturally as Sasha than it did as Anna and obviously it's because Anna is this you know broken shell of a woman but (laughs) i'm kidding (laughs) okay so i have a problem with the way that the writers chose to i guess write anna Mm -hmm. um so jeff goes to the front door and she gives him this whole spiel about hey remember the wizard of oz and you have the ruby slipper and the little little (laughs) i like that part okay so i liked it too but, but. There's always a but. Yeah, always. Sasha's character is so similar to Lorelai. It is. And I think it's just writer, like, they only know how to write one character. It's true. And, I, and then should we give them a bit of backstory on the Jess spinoff that this episode was attempting to introduce? Yes, go ahead. So for those who don't know. Um, this episode serves as what they call a backdoor pilot. You said that already. I'm saying it again. Um, oh. Which I'm going to give you a Wikipedia definition of a backdoor pilot. So a backdoor pilot is a film or miniseries that serves as proof of concept for a full series, but may be broadcast on its own, even if the full series is not picked up. The term may also be used for an episode of a currently running show that serves to introduce a spinoff. Such backdoor pilots commonly focus on an existing character or characters from the parent series who are to be given their own show. And in this case, the the new show was going to be called Windward Circle. And it was supposed to be a Jess-centric spinoff. And I assume um, both Jimmy and Sasha would have been co-stars. So I'm thinking that when you said Sasha is very similar to Lorelai, maybe like on the hypothetical new show, they would have wanted that Lorelai 
energy to be, you know, t- taken up by that character. What do you think? Yeah, for, absolutely. Because Amy would have been the main writer and the executive producer on the new show, Amy mm-hmm. Sherman you know. So, yeah, I get it. But, you know, okay, so my least favorite critique on ja- Drag Race is when judges tell one of the girls that she, her character was too one note. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to say it. Like, this fucking episode was so one note. Yeah. Because even Jimmy, by the way, Jimmy and Luke, so Jimmy is just his dad, Jimmy and Luke both own restaurants. True. So then in my mind, I was like, oh, maybe Jess starts working with his dad, just like he worked at the diner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, even Jimmy sounds a little bit like Luke when he's going on the pickle rant. He does. So I'm like, you know, creating the same characters. Yeah, like, I don't I'm, I don't know if the fact that the the backdoor pilot wasn't well received I didn't look that far into the archives, but I do know that according to both the Huffington Post and Bustle, that Windward Circle was not picked up because of high budget costs to film in Venice Beach. Oh, I believe that 100%, because you have to think that, like, well, first of all, when you're filming on a lot, when you're filming on a studio, you have much more control of what's going on, right? You Mm -hmm. can bring in your sets, you don't have to, like... um, sign waivers to use scene like you know what I mean it's it's a lot yeah so, so I get it you know it would have been hard for um a company like it would have been hard for the WB to say we're gonna invest this much money in a show that potentially might not have a payoff you know mm-hmm. so I get it but also like it as I was watching it again last night it made me start to think like I think it would have gotten old really quick because Gilmore Girls was going to be continuing, obviously. Yeah. So we would have had the wit and quick humor of Gilmore Girls. And then the exact same character. And I think they were supposed to play back-to-back, by the way. Mm-hmm, probably. So, like, it just would have been two hours of Gilmore Girls, but without, like, the characters that we've known for three years. Mm-hmm. But they sound really similar to the characters that we've known for three years. You know what I pretty, mean? Yeah, pretty much. I think, I mean... I think it's a it's a fair assumption that um, Amy Sherman Palladino and and or the WB might have been interested in a Jess spinoff because the character has always been so popular. Yeah, and absolutely. And probably listen, would have drawn the. I think it would have had, uh, had a big viewership too. Yeah, it like would have drawn the same demographic for sure. Especially if they were back to back. So my so my thought is the Jess spinoff definitely wouldn't have lasted if it did get made. But I think by this point, if it was, if it did get made, it would have been a, a cult classic. And we would have been, like, rewatching it and thinking, like, oh, it, deser- it deserved better. He deserved better. Like, I think it, no matter what happened to Jess Mariano, we'd still all be crying that he deserved better. Yeah, for sure. I feel like even if we had gotten exactly what we wanted in the revival, we still would have been, like, more. <laughs> yeah, like, Jess deserves more. He deserves, we deserve, we still deserve more. Like, I think we're so inclined to... Like, we're just programmed by this point, by this show and by these writers to expect more and want more from Jess and or Rory together. That it's like more. You need more all the time. We're never satisfied. No. <laughs> um, so all I kept thinking also was when Jess was introducing himself to Sasha, I was like, oh, how many blows can Jess take? Because now he's finding out that his dad's girlfriend doesn't even know about him. Yeah. Um, well, I guess 
later on in the conversation, you kind of think that, yeah, he knows, she knows about him. She knows that Jimmy has a son, mm-hmm. but the Jess doesn't mean anything to her, right? Yeah. So, like, how shitty must it be <laughs> to know that your dad hasn't even told his girlfriend or partner or wife, whatever, at this point, about you, and that now he also has a whole other family? <laughs> I think ideally I would have wanted the spinoff to explore some of those emotions, maybe, like, give Jess more of a soul, shall we say, and... Yeah. Like, in, in exploring how the fact that he's never felt wanted or belonged anywhere, and maybe that um, Jimmy and Sasha would, like, learn to love him and fall in love with him in a way that nobody else did and opened, opened their home to him and, like, some kind of loving family storyline like no, that. No, I think that's what would have happened. I mean, I'd, again, I'm not, but on the other hand, I could argue, I could offer a counter argument and say that perhaps even with the target demographic of Gilmore Girls and, you know, uh, young people and young families maybe watching the show at the time, I don't know how well a softened Jess would have gone over. Because just with the experience of other spinoffs that didn't, that didn't end up very well, I'm thinking I'm thinking of the Friends spinoff called Joey. Oh, that, didn't go all, that didn't go all very well at all. And this, the central argument against that spinoff was that they tried to soften Joey's character by making him a bit more, a bit more like realistic and relatable, and like so they took they took out a lot of his womanizing qualities, and like yeah. I never actually saw the full second season of that show because it became very unwatchable. But the last but the last time I remember watching it, it felt like they had taken him as this suave womanizing, you know, dumbass who didn't really have any street smarts whatsoever. But like they took him from this more or less powerful character into this just whiny loser who couldn't get a date and it's like that was never Joey Tribbiani so I wonder if a similar situation would have occurred on the Jess spinoff where they took him from this you know cynical sarcastic bad boy with his leather jacket and his book and made like I won't say whiny but like made him into this just apathetic character that nobody really wanted to, to deal with again yeah I think at the very least if the spinoff would have happened mm-hmm. I think it would have been a Good. So, because he came back in season four, yeah. Um, I think it would have been nice to see the between period. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I said that I don't think like that it would have gone over like they Sasha and Jimmy um, welcome him with open arms and learn to love him and whatever is because he's in such a bad place in season four. So I think that whole thing ends badly. Yeah, it's like he realizes sure. he doesn't fit in mm-hmm. with Jimmy's new family. Yeah. And that his dad never really wanted him, but now wants this new kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, but I think what would have been smart if they had gone through with it is that if I think I would have, even if the spinoff had gotten picked up, I think I would have kept his scenes in season four mm-hmm. and, and like that crossover episode. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe, I mean, I'm thinking like realistically here, Windward Circle probably wouldn't have lasted beyond a season, like maybe two max. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, like, maybe let's say, hypothetically speaking, by the time Jess came back in season four, the other show wouldn't have been working out, and Amy Sherman Palladino would kind of want to keep the character alive on its original show, so they would bring him back and kind of have him in this bad place to show that, you know, not only is his new situation in California not working out, the show in real life is not working out, so they bring him back, and, this, and he's not in a good place. 
but at the same time, like, they don't really ever give Jess a very nice, happy ending, at least in season four. So I think either, I think regardless of what happened, spinoff or no spinoff, Jess would have still been in a bad place. Yeah, for sure. But this whole thing kind of makes me realize that it wasn't really thought through. It it wasn't. And you can even think about it now, like, like you said, with the one dimensional one note characters in this backdoor pilot, it's like, did you, were were you just thinking of a Gilmore Girls set in Venice Beach or? Honestly, I think, I think what ended up happening, like, you know, we can speculate all we want, but I think in my head, what happened was they're like, hey, wouldn't it be great if Jess got his own show because, because fans love him so much. Yeah. Um, so they saw this surge of support for Jess, but they knew like it couldn't last on Gilmore Girls. So they tried to capitalize that on another show, but they didn't think further ahead. No, exactly. Go, oh my God, like, we're going to make another show and we're going to have two times the show and it's going to be great and more money and more advertising. Yeah, that, like, yeah, that's, for sure. That's, that, all, that, that, that's as far as I think they went with that. Be, for sure, because creatively speaking, it was like, it was. no, at all. So, I mean, yeah, it's great to kind of have ambition and to keep. And, you know, other people have done it, like looking at you, Shonda Rhimes. But, yes. um, but you know how I feel about Shonda. Shonda. <laughs> um, don't get me wrong. I love you, Shonda. But I just feel like, can you finish one show before you start another? Yeah. And while we're on the topic of Shonda for a second, again, I also love Shonda Rhimes. And I love her book called Year of Yes. I recommend that if you haven't read it. Um, but just while we're on the topic of, you know, Grey's Anatomy, the aforementioned Grey's Anatomy. Oh, good Lord. Um, this summer I was in the, I was on the search for a new show to watch. Just Oh no, Jeffrey, no. (laughs) Okay, shush, shush. I already, okay. So, um, I'd never actually seen Private Practice, which was the first Grey's Anatomy spinoff. Yeah. Um, which was, which was pretty successful. It ran for six seasons and... When I was, you know, I think we all had a bit of a Grey's Anatomy phase one time or another. And when I was, I watched the first six or seven seasons of Grey's Anatomy. And I always loved Addison Montgomery, who was the character who was spun off onto private practice. And so I'd never seen private practice except for maybe a couple of glimpses when my mom watched it. And so I thought, hmm, it's on Prime Video. I'm going to watch it this summer and everything will be wonderful. So I watched the first season and I was like into it. You know, I got to know the characters and was, you know, in getting invested. And then by, you know, like, halfway through season two, I was like, you know where you get to a point where just every character on a show is aggravating you? Yep. And maybe if, if it's a show you know and love and you're rewatching, you're like, this this is a very aggravating point, but I'm going to push past it because I know it gets better. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no desire to do that because, A, it was my first time watching it, and, B, Literally, I wanted to punch every single character, and it was making me very aggravated. And all I have to say is um, every single character on that show is the absolute worst. They all suck. They're all frustrating. And, um, yeah, please. So if you want to watch Private Practice, my advice would be don't. <laughs> so I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I really loved Addison. So when they announced the spinoff, I was into it. Yes. Um, yeah, same thing for me. I, I think I stopped at the end of season two. And um, I think a couple of years ago, I had like some small form, some small desire to see what happened. And I, I let go of it real quick. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's it's very well written. Like Shonda knows what she's doing. And especially yeah, but like here's the thing, Shonda, 
when I say finish one show before you start another, it's not because like I'm in no way like shitting on her success. Like do whatever you want. I don't care. But the problem then becomes that like, I feel like you're splitting your ideas between all your shows. 100%. And then like one of them ends up becoming so tired because you're investing all your good ideas in another. And Mm -hmm. that's how we end up with a fucking singing episode in Grey's Anatomy. Yes. So like the reason I say finish one show before you start another is only because like when you when you're like spread so thin because you're trying to write great content for all of your shows, it's not gonna work. <laughs> no, something something has to give. At some, exactly. At so that's why like I felt Grey's Anatomy. The first like five seasons of Grey's Anatomy were great. Like the writing was great, the storylines were great. But then you have to like you have to keep coming up with crazy shit because you're you're all over the place. Yeah. And it's and a good so, th- Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say it's a good thing we we you brought up uh or I brought up who brought up Shonda. Someone brought up Shonda. We love Shonda. I brought um, <laughs> um it's funny that we're talking about this because in terms of backdoor pilots, I think the backdoor pilot they did on Grey's Anatomy for private practice was probably one of like the best written backdoor pilots I've ever seen and Absolutely. how they kind of like they made you, they made you want to invest in a spinoff about Addison. Like I feel like, and I feel like if it was badly written, it wouldn't have lasted. And I think obviously Shonda knows what she's doing, and the fact that um, Addison as a character was compelling at one time, she might have lost that at another because she was just very annoying. But I think when you have, like, when you have the ability to write a good episode of a show to get people to invest, like that's what's going to sell your idea. But like you said. When you're writing so many different good ideas, at one time or another, you're just going to run out of steam and something's going to, you know, you're, you're going to lose the steam and you're not going to be able to have a show that's going to be great all the time at once and it's gonna, just going to have a monumental fall, you know? Yeah. By the way, um, there are three Grey's Anatomy spinoff shows. Please tell us. So there's Private Practice that we just mentioned. There's Station 19. Mm, yes. And they often do, like, crossover episodes with Station 19. Yep. And, uh, God, they, they advertise them as if it's the fucking Super Bowl. I can't. <laughs> and then there's Grey's Anatomy B-Team. Did you know about that one? Oh, my gosh. I think I blocked that out. So now I forgot <laughs> all about it. Yeah, basically it was, like, the the other residents or interns, whatever. It didn't last, did it? I think it lasted, like, ten episodes. <laughs> Well, yeah. you know, Shonda Shonda means well. Listen, like we said, I think Shonda writes really well. Some of the scenes in Grey's Anatomy, I'm thinking part- in particular of the one um, with the sexual assault victim. Yeah. And the women are lining the, the hall. Mm-hmm. Like, that scene gets me every fucking time. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, the one in season, like, first of all, like, the first, you said the first five seasons of Grey's Anatomy are really good, like... I would say seasons like two and three, every single episode is like so like heart stoppingly intense yeah. that you have to just drop everything. Talk about fucking cliffhangers. It's- it was just such like such good television. And I think I don't think she lost that steam, so to speak, but I think maybe just draw it like drew it out for so long that people obviously are still invested, but it's like how long can a show go on? You have to end it at some time. But that's the thing. I feel like, especially with Grey's Anatomy, they just don't know when to fucking quit. 
They really what? don't. Like, End it already. Everyone's dead. And I think what you said about them advertising it like it's like the crossover, like they're like they're a Super Bowl, is because I think at this time, and especially as a result of the pandemic, like network television is really not in a good place anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think when they do have a Grey's Anatomy and Station 19 crossover, it's like, oh my God, we have to promote this because it's like, it's our only bread and butter at this at this point. Yeah. Last thing we'll say about Grey's Anatomy is I remember last year when that bombshell dropped of um, Alex, the actor Justin Chambers who plays Alex wanting to leave the show, mm-hmm. and they wrote this fucking storyline of him so he he had married another character and everyone really loved the couple and so they wrote the storyline of how izzy like secretly had their babies because they had twins yeah like he found out and he wanted to go and be their dad so he left his wife it was really bad it was so fucking bad (laughs) and i remember the night that 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 aired like all the Twitter, um, the top trending Twitter hashtags all had to do with Grey's Anatomy. And at that point, I think we tweeted out, well, I tweeted out, I was like, you know, you brought this on yourselves. You're still fucking watching Grey's Anatomy after 29 years. Like, yeah. Stop. <laughs> it's true, though. Like, I think other, there's a couple of other original actors left. But you can tell, like, Justin Chambers wanted out. I mean, I think it's normal also from an actor's point of view if you've been playing a character for so long and especially if they're not growing or you've seen that they they've grown as much as they could mm-hmm. because especially just um, Alex Karev's story arc um, like he really went from a douche to a really good guy. Yeah. Like if there's just nowhere else to go with the character, you of course you're going to want out. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's time to go. Anyways, whatever. So, Actually, one one last thing we'll say about um, oh Grey's Anatomy. I have one tidbit of trivia or, you know, just insight to share mm. on the topic of Izzy. Because, as you know, everyone just loved... I remember, like, in the 2000s, like, everyone loved Katherine Heigl, right? And she was... No, I'm not going to say the it girl, but she was, like, you know, it's kind of the it girl. And the character was probably one of the most popular when the show was first on the air. And I think Katherine Heigl kind of wanted to capitalize on that. And she kind of like shot herself in the foot many times as the Twitter, the Twitter sphere knows. But we've talked about that before. Yeah. Like she even, like she would refuse to submit herself to uh, like the, to be considered for the Emmys because she didn't think she had sufficient material in the role. Like, okay, who does that? Um, And then, but another thing that people don't talk about as much, which was, I think, almost as bad as, like, refusing to be submitted to the Emmys, was when ABC announced that they were picking up the private practice spinoff uh, focusing on Addison, Katherine Heigl went on this whole tirade about how she was hoping for a spinoff about Izzy, and she was very upset. Well, boohoo, bitch. And, like, just think about it. Like, what the hell would Izzy's spinoff have been? I don't know. Like, Whatever. No. I don't know. <laughs> It's fine. Let's move on. Let's move on. Move on. Because Grey's Anatomy has taken up the world's time too much. Too much. Okay. Um. So when Jess is um kind of ex- one of the scenes that I really liked in the whole Jess in California bit was mm-hmm. he's exploring his father's house, and um, you know, it's a really colorful house. There's a lot of, like, knickknacks all over the place. He, he sees the wall of clowns or whatever the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that's that's just kind of trying to figure out who his dad is, right? Because yeah. he doesn't know who his father is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think up until the point where he steps into the room with all the records and the books, yeah, it's him kind of saying, like, I don't know this man at all. Is he even really my father? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the really great scenes of this episode, how it was done really beautifully, is when the music starts playing, when he sees his dad's room. Mm-hmm. Like, the books and the music, it's like they were trying to say, like, here's the connection between you and your dad for the first time in your life. Yeah. Oh? Yeah, I do agree. And I think, I me- I forgot to mention this last week in episode 20, when Jimmy first arrives in Stars Hollow, and, they're like, they have that really awkward scene in, in the diner after it's closed, and it's just dark, and they're not saying anything. Um, and the radio is on, and it's, what I'm, I'm drawing a blank on which song it was now, but they were both... City. Yeah, Suffragette, Suffragette City, and they're both singing along to the same words at the same time with, with the same head bob, and it's just like, that's yeah. so cute, and they can see the resemblance, and it's like, Jess has never had anything like that before, and it's like, why did you take it away? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, <laughs> so I think that scene is really, really well done, um, from the music to the look on his face to him kind of exploring, um, and then I think he just he comes down to earth again when he opens the cabinet and there's a child in there. Yeah. <laughs> because no, but I mean, number one, it was funny. Let's be honest. But number two, I really think he's not upset, but I think he's surprised to hear surprised to see that there's still so much. He doesn't know about his dad. Yeah. And when he's talking to Sasha after he's like, so this kid, she's like, Oh no, she's mine, but not Jimmy's. But, like, there's still so much he doesn't fucking know. Oh, you guys aren't married? Yeah. Like, he knows nothing about his dad. <laughs> and Very so sad. in my head, I'm just, like, ugh, I'm just, I'm thinking that Jess is probably thinking, the fuck, is this really a good idea to come across the country and see a man who I don't know? Yeah. Anyways. It's just, it was a really well done, I have to say, the episode was really well done, and I think if we were going just based on that for the for the pilot of uh, Windward Circle, I think it would have been enough. Yeah. If there weren't, like, production costs associated, I think, I think it, like, grabbed everyone's attention enough that we would want to know what happens next. And like I said, I think it would have lasted maybe a season if they had gone through with it, like, maybe you know high high budget costs would have shot them in the foot eventually but mm-hmm. i think it would have it would have gone somewhere and the last thing we'll say about the windward circle you know the failed attempt is that there is one existing scene that was filmed for the um like the 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 spin-off series and it's a ver- it's a very blurry grainy scene that exists on youtube we're going to share it on our social media when this episode comes out and it's jess who's kind of being bullied by these like skateboard kids on the boardwalk by the way the fact that anyone could bully jess is hilarious to me yeah it says a lot like he must be out of his wheelhouse if he's being bullied by these kids and one of the kids the the like the main guy who's like basically wearing a vest with nothing underneath is played by the same actor who plays Brennan in season four, who was this ridiculous dumbass guy who Luke hired to work at the diner for one episode. And then, and then he realized that he's just awful and no one wanted to eat at Luke's when he was there. So you can imagine what that would have been like if this, this same kid who, the same guy who played Brennan was now playing this bully who's stealing Jess's books. Like, 
rude. But we'll share the scene and you can tell us what you think. Yes. Um, what else? So back to Stars Hollow or back Connecticut. Back to Stars Hollow. It's like, where were we all this time? We were in Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so back in Stars Hollow, Rory's still freaking out because she has so much to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lorelai has to volunteer at the booster club yacht ticket sale. What the fuck is she volunteering at? I don't, honestly, I think she's just like going into it blindly. Like I have to do this for my daughter's education. Yeah. I don't really care about it. <laughs> anyway, so she's selling tickets for the, for the yacht thing, uh, with Paris. Mm-hmm. And I find their conversation that they have together kind of really cute as well. Yes. Um, because Paris doesn't really have anyone in her life that she can talk to other than Rory, right? Right. Um, but not really um, a, an adult in her life, shall we say, that she can talk to. Mm-hmm. I actually copied down a quote from that uh, little interaction that they had um, okay. regarding, it's actually kind of, it's like a bit of um, like a metafictional reference, if you think about it. Um Paris references Felicity when she's talking about where she wants to go to school and she's thinking about Princeton, but Jamie goes to Princeton. And so she says, suddenly I'm Felicity, but without the hair issues. And I don't know how I feel about that. So it seems to me, it's like interesting that the WB would like allow a show on the same network to poke fun at another show on their same network. Like, but I think, I think when at this point, it's been three years that Gilmore Girls is on. Mm-hmm. I think they kind of know Amy Sherman Palladino's style. Yeah. And she knows that she pokes fun at everyone. Yeah. And the, the show is packed with pop. Uh, the show is packed with pop culture references. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I also don't think they pay that much attention. <laughs> no, they don't. And like they're looking at ratings, right? <laughs> yeah. And Felicity had already been off the air at this point, so yeah. the thing was, I think it was. I think it's also funny how everyone blames. The fact that Felicity cut her hair in the second season as the thing that killed the show when like the writing the writing was all over the place for that show. Like JJ Abrams needs to explain himself. But also the fact that you think that an actress cutting her hair like warrants canceling a fucking show. <laughs> yeah, and it's weird because like in the pop culture um in the pop culture conscious. To this day, like you, you associate Felicity with the hair issues. The fact that, like in season two, she got this dramatic haircut from went went from having like frizzy long hair to this like little crew cut, and yeah. it's just weird to me that you would think that an actress, you know, a woman changing her hairstyle was what killed your show. Like, no, no, J.J. Abrams' erratic writing killed your show. Yeah, I think like now that we've mentioned this, I just thought of it. Um, I don't know. I know a lot of people um, watch The Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when Kaylee Cuoco cut her hair? Yeah. To that pixie cut? Which was beautiful, by the way. I, I think it suited her, by the way. But it anyways. did. Um, but yeah, a lot of people still say, oh, I stopped watching The Big Bang Theory uh, right around the time that Kaylee Cuoco cut her hair. Which is ridiculous. Not- by the way, not so much to say that, like, or maybe it is, but I don't know. But every time I've spoken to people about this, um, for me, it was it was more like a reference point for them. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, they were just like, oh, I really didn't like her hair. And I think the writing kind of went downhill at the same time. And it was like an omen, whatever. It's amazing to me that you think that an actress cutting her hair has is that powerful. <laughs> yeah, actress, there's exactly. 
But I just hate in general, like we're going to go on our feminist tirade again, but I just hate in general when people think that they have any right to tell an actress, oh, your hair looked so much better before. Like you looked so much prettier before. Yeah, like can we can we play the, the misogyny card on this one, please? Like absolutely, I'm putting it down like an Uno plus four, bitches. <laughs> like it's just like I think about Kristen Stewart. Remember she cut her hair super short. Yeah. Like she shaved her head. Mm-hmm. Like people were like, oh my gosh, she's so much nicer with short hair, uh, with long hair. And I'm like, bitch, she's a fucking badass, no matter what kind of hair she has. I think it just really speaks to the like unreachable ridiculously toxic beauty standards that we force on women yeah because the fact that you associate a show going downhill with when either uh carrie russell or kaylee kuoko cut their hair like um maybe also look at the creative side of the show at that time because you know what i mean yeah um i want to talk about emily and lorelei's relationship at where it stands now yes um, because I know in previous episodes we had said that Lorelai was kind of being shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got the feeling that, like, she was the one that didn't want a relationship with her parents and her parents tried really hard. Yeah. Um, in this episode, the roles are kind of reversed where I find Emily b- really, really shitty. <laughs> yeah. So in my notes, I wrote that Emily is also childish. Let's not forget. Yeah. So just in case you forgot these past two episodes, we're here to remind you. <laughs> Um, so Rory goes over to the house to help pick, by the way, this is so stupid. Why would you need my help picking a fucking outfit when you have a Miss Celine? But anyway. Yes, I was going to say, first appearance of Miss Celine. Which, she's lovely, by the way. <laughs> and if you, uh, didn't, if you didn't know, which you should, because, you know, you're a Gilmore Girls fan. Um, Miss Celine is also, is played by Alex Borstein. Yes. Who also played Drella in the very first few episodes of Gilmore Girls. She does a wonderful job, by the way. It really does. But, um, yeah, so just for me, I was like, this is dumb to begin with. And I think it's Emily, it's definitely Emily's petty side coming out and saying, like, I really want to spend time with my granddaughter and not my daughter. So I'm going to make up an excuse to kind of get her over here. Yeah. Knowing she can't say no because she's like Bambi. So, <laughs> Yeah. So then Lorelai shows up and, um, you know, the maid says dinner's on the table. And she's like, no, it's not. Because she knows that if dinner was actually ready, she would have to invite them to stay. And she really doesn't want to invite Lorelai to stay. Mm -hmm. And then Richard confirms that. He's like, no, we don't have plans. Of course we don't have plans. Um, Emily's the fucking worst in this episode. (laughs) She really is. And it's like... It's it's one thing for us to argue that, you know, Lorelai never really grew up and put herself in her parents' shoes or considered how hard it was for other people other than herself. Um, yeah. But Emily, on the flip side of that, Emily also is a child who yeah. resorts to petty pettiness and just n- nasty behavior. Yeah. Can we say she's a petty Betty? <laughs> A petty Betty. I've never heard that before. Yes, you have, because I've said it on this podcast. Have you, though? And you said the exact same thing. I've never heard that before. Okay, well, clearly it doesn't stick, ladies and gentlemen. Petty Betty. Just like cha- just like Chatty... What is it? Chatty Patty? Chatty Patty. <laughs> <Go on. laughs> um, and then the part that really upset me, so more so than the fact that she was being petty and was like, of course you can't stay. We have plans. We don't want you to... Like, whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. 
the part that upset me more was the fact that when Laura, when Rory came back into the house to get her backpack, yeah, she was like, oh, I don't know what's wrong with your mother. Everything's a production. Like, to turn around and then make it seem like it's Lorelai's fault. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Because <laughs> Rory even said it. I think you're being really stupid. Because you are, first of all. You are. Oh, so annoying. And in, in that instance, you you can just see where Lorelai gets it from. Like, oh, she's, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, let's talk about Lorelai telling Rory that Jess is gone. That's like it's a it's a very interesting scene because you can tell that you can tell that Rory is obviously sad and also angry, but at the same time she's also like oddly accept like oddly accepting of the fact yeah, that he's so gone. Yeah, so I wrote in my notes I said she looks defeated but not surprised. <laughs> exactly, that's exactly it. She looks defeated and she's just like done. Like okay, yeah, that sounds about right. See ya. Like I'm done with him. Yeah, all he's gone sounds about right because he runs from his problems all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So of course she looks sad. Um, I I I was thinking like she's probably starting to think now. Um, what if I did talk to him that time where I was going back and forth in the front of the diner? Mm-hmm. Like you can't think like that kind of thing. <laughs> but um, it's just it's one of those things as fans that you fucking hate because oh, you're like what could have been? They were so great if you had just fucking talked to each other. I know. Yeah. So I I felt for Rory in this in this scene because you know she has so much going on. It's one more thing to worry about, but she can't really worry about it right now. She's like, you know what? I think in her head at the end of that scene, she's like, fuck it, good riddance at this point, you know? Yeah, and you know that she has so much else on her plate, which is like too much, by the way. When she's like listing her to do list, I'm like, no, yeah. what? Like, focus on your freaking exams and that's it. Like, no. Yeah, I know. Like, I know she where she's at, like, you know, this private school where everything is, you know, the end of the world if you don't participate. But, like, Jesus Christ, I would literally <laughs> lose my mind. Uh, yeah. I think you have lost your mind a little bit. Oh, I lost, my, I lost my mind a long time ago, darling. Yes. Haven't we all? Yes, I was going to say, as have you. Don't, you know, join the club. Yeah, I know. Don't worry. I'm right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, Jess's breakdown with his dad. So sad. So sad, but I think very long overdue for Jess to kind of air out his grievances. I'm not crying. You're crying. I mean, it was a little bit emotional. <laughs> like, because you, you never really see Jess acknowledge the fact that all this stuff has happened to him over the last few episodes. It's like super traumatic and like just very much not good, like not OK. And you have to just acknowledge your not OK feelings. Yeah, so I think with Jess, the interesting part is that we've seen we've seen a lot of anger from Jess. Yeah. Um, we've seen him, so we've seen that side of his emotions. We've seen anger, but we've never really seen this kind of desperate sadness. Because mm-hmm. um, that's what that was, right? Yeah. Um, so for me, watching that, I was so number one. I'm glad that he's finally like airing everything out. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really a wake-up call also for his dad. Because his dad says, look, I wasn't ready to be a father. I did what I thought was best. I left, you know? Yeah. He's like, you fucking get to decide that. No. And even though you thought what you were doing was best, clearly, look where your kid is now. Clearly it wasn't. Like, he's fucked up. (laughs) And I'm not saying you're the only one to blame for him being fucked up. 
But I mean, you can't just like wash your hands of these things, right? <laughs> no, and, and I'm like, I don't know if it's the fact that Jimmy in this instance was a pretty likable character, but you can't, but like for me, I kind of get the the sense that he obviously didn't know how to be a father when Jess was born. And like, but I also, I also get the sense that he doesn't know how to be a father now. Like he, like he's kind of, he's obviously friendly and close with Sasha's daughter, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, you, I also get the sense that if something were to get too real or too intense, just like Jess would do, he would run away. Yeah. So we have to assume that things didn't go well, right? Because Jess did run away and was living in New York in a bad place. Yeah. But it doesn't erase the fact that your kid now travels across the country to see you mm-hmm. and sees you with a stable job. Yeah. A partner of five years who has a kid that you treat really well. Yeah. And then you can't help but then think, well, what the fuck? What about me? I'm your blood, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, as much as he says, like, I'm not ready to be a father. I think for him, it's like a loophole. He's like, well, I'm not a father. Like, Lily's not mine kind of thing. But still, mm-hmm. still, you're still a father figure, right? Yeah, I think it's just, it would have been, again, oh, what could have been. But I think it would have been interesting to see, like, to see Jess try to get along with someone who is exactly like him in terms of commitment issues and acknowledging yeah. our ugly feelings. And just, like, in that moment when Jess has that meltdown, is like, I'm not, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not graduating high school. Like, just this whole meltdown. I think it would have been nice to have seen a bit more beyond that and maybe how Jimmy and or Sasha, but hopefully mostly Jimmy, would have helped him heal from that and rebuild in some way. And like you said, I don't think it ends very well because... He ends up in New York living in a chip box, but, you know. I mean, and look, not that I'm necessarily, not that I think that he went to California looking for his long lost father so they can bond and throw a ball around. No. I don't think that's what he went there for. I don't think his ex- those were his expectations. Mm-hmm. I genuinely think he went there because he really had nowhere else to go. He couldn't live with Luke. He couldn't live with his mother. Like, what the fuck, you know? Yeah. But I. But I think it's disingenuous to say that it doesn't still hurt him. Yeah, like, on some level, you can tell that there's so much, there's so many little things that have affected Jess's entire life that he's just choked down and not acknowledged because, you know, kind of went against the masculine ideal, I guess. And at this point in time, he might he's saying, like, I don't need a father, I'm raised, you know, I can vote, I can be, I'm yeah. 18. But you can tell that... The fact you can tell the fact he's lived his whole life without his father is obviously been detrimental in ways that he can't really articulate. Yeah, exactly, because he doesn't even know yet. Yeah, so it would have been nice for him to have just, or it would have been nice for us to have seen him work through some of that trauma. Yeah, I think more more so than anything, it was really what the viewers needed after. Yes. But in the in the way that like we've kind of gone along with it and we've been yelling at our televisions like, Oh my God, just talk. Oh my God, just do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So from a viewer's frustration point of view, I think it would have been closure for us to just to see him say like, yo, I fucked up <laughs> and I am fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that's a really missed opportunity too in the later seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I love the fact that in season six, he's kind of made peace with everything and he's in a good place. Um, 
I would have liked to see him express some anger towards his mother and, um, you know, and if the pilot, this pilot had gone through maybe even towards his father, you know, um, you kind of have to fill in the blanks for yourself. You kind mm -hmm. of have to think that like, you know, he walked her down the aisle because he was okay with everything, but you know, it's still really shitty to kind of, I want to know what happened in between (laughs) Yeah, and I'm going to save all of my feelings about Jess and Liz as a mother-son combo for season four because... Yeah, me too. I'm trying my best. <laughs> yeah, because there's so much... I have so many feelings about Liz, and I know a lot of people um, who've listened to us and who are um, among our following know and feel the same way about Liz. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to put a pin in that and wait for her first appearance in season four. Um, anything else you want to talk about in this episode? Um, yes, one last thing. I'm, like, looking through my long page of notes that I took frantically because there was so much I wanted to talk about in this episode. Um, I think we've, we've touched on this before in terms of when Rory got into all three Ivy League schools that she applied to and, like, how realistic is that was Mm -hmm. my question. My question is, again, how realistic is it that... Rory is valedictorian of Chilton. Like, so, to me, that seems, again, like a bit of a stretch. So what I was thinking was that I think Paris missing all those days because of her meltdown hurt her. Yes. Um, that's the only way, because I, I was thinking the same thing, too. Like, you came in your uh, sophomore year very behind. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking the same thing. Like, wouldn't it have been Paris? But then... Yeah, the only reasonable explanation that I have is that it really hurt Paris um, when she had her little breakdown and missed so much school. That, like, also for sure, like, Paris would have been a contender. But then on the other hand, again, I'm, like, overthinking this and putting way too much thought into a fictional television show. But (laughs) wouldn't you think that everyone, maybe not everyone, because we know Madeline Louise, but maybe, like... A large population of kids at a school like Chilton, wouldn't they all kind of be like-minded in terms of studying? Is there is there one goal and their one is their end all and be all like doing well in school? Like, wouldn't you think there's three thousand other people like Rory who in at least in Chilton who would be like a front runner for valedictorian? Like, obviously it's Rory because Rory's the main character of this show. But you think like out of all of the people in Chilton, like it's only Rory in Paris? Um, I think throughout the entire show, we're meant to believe that they're at the top of their class because they're always competing. They're student body president and vice president. Yeah. Um, they get the C-SPAN speech. Like, you know what I mean? I think we're meant to believe that they're the top. They they wipe the floor in that debate, that euthanasia debate. Yeah. Um, so I think... I think the show has done a good job of setting them up as the top in their class. I also think, like, in terms of prep school... Um, maybe it's a stereotype from watching too many movies and television, but I think, uh, but I also know people who have gone to prep schools, like proper United States prep schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I think kids in prep schools kind of rely on their parents' money, shall we say? Yeah, on some level that definitely has to play a part. So I think a lot of it is, um, they they kind of skate by on the fact that they can either do the bare minimum or just keep their average at a B and everything's good, you know? Yeah. So, like, yeah. So, on the one hand, I would think there's a lot of people 
like Rory and Paris, but on the other hand, there's probably also a lot of people like Tristan, shall we say. Yeah, exactly. And Madeline and Louise, you know. Yeah. Well, I don't know, but um, I mean, it's nice that it kind of came full circle. You know, she started struggling when she first got there. She got a D. She worked really hard and now she's valedictorian. Yeah, def- it, it came full circle for Rory. I think it would have been nice to for Paris to have had that moment as well. But, you know. But you know what? I think, and this is, maybe I should save it for next episode, but I think Paris is really okay with it. She, yeah, she, she makes her peace with it. I think it would have been nice for us as viewers to see all of that work pay off. But on the other hand, like I said before, like Paris just was wound so tight that it had to break at some at one point or another. Mm-hmm. So. But- you know, good for Rory. Good for Rory. <laughs> uh, where can they find us, Jeffrey? Um, they can follow us on tweeters at Gilmore Podcast or on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. And if you want to send us an email, you know, questions, comments, concerns, love letters, etc., cetera, uh, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. And we always answer our DMs. We always, uh, we always communicate with you guys. Even with the nasty messages we do, which is, like, too much of us. Oh, yeah. Well, we're not going to talk about nasty messages because it really, honestly, it drained me, that nasty message. (laughs) Maybe we'll talk about it next week when we have a little bit more time. Yes. But, um, you know, whatever. (laughs) Shall we update them on the bracket before we go? Let's do it. We have another matchup um, this week. (sighs) What is our matchup this week? Okay, ready? Yes. So this week's matchup is episode 513, Wedding Bell Blues. Oh, yes. Versus episode 609, Prodigal Daughter Returns. Mm-hmm. 513. <laughs> <laughs> that was me, like, inhaling my gasp. <laughs> oh, good lord. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to have that up um, on Friday to coincide with this episode's release. And uh, we're getting there with round two. Yes, we are. We are getting there slowly but surely. Soon we will crown a winner. It's going to be an eventful race, I think. Yeah. So next week, um, next week is our last episode of the season. Yes, our season finale. Can you believe it? Our season finale. I feel like it's gone by fast, but also slow. I don't know. <laughs> I think we um, we definitely drew this season out more than one and two. So I think we had, I think we had some more time to insert some creative freedom. Yeah, well, we also said it last week. Um, there wasn't a lot of filler this season, right? Yeah. So, um, I don't mind. I have. A I lot don't mind either. I love talking with all of you and, you know, talking with this bitch who sometimes agrees with me and sometimes doesn't. Girl! Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, next week is... Next week you're going to hear the episode on the Friday, which is... Hold on, let me see. November... November 6th. Yeah. Which means that by the time we hear, well, by the time you hear our voices next, um, there may or may not be a new president of the United States. Oh, true. So this is my last chance to please, please, please tell you to please, please, please vote. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you haven't already done so, if you haven't already dropped off your ballot in authorized drop boxes, don't do it in the mail. Um, it's very important now more than ever. Okay. Yes. So, um, please do so. The fate of the world. I'm not even going to say your country. The fate of the world depends on it. 
Okay. We beg of we beg of you. We beg of you. I cannot watch another four more years of this goddamn fucking shit show. My mental health cannot take it. Really, really can't. Really, really can't. And also, um, you guys deserve so much better. <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to a woman whose boyfriend cheated on her. But it's true though. Like you guys, Americans, you really deserve so much better. You deserve so much better. You deserve a president, and not even just a president. You deserve senators and congress people and attorneys general that like really understand you and are representative of everyone in the country and not just white men yep so for the love of god think if you are a white man or a white person i should say like think of your neighbors Mm -hmm. um who don't fit that profile think of black and latin people who are scared think of women um, who might potentially, or your, your daughters, sisters, mothers, who maybe might need an abortion in the future, um, for whatever reason. Um, think of people with pre-existing conditions that are scared that their healthcare is going to be taken away from them at a time like this. I'm just asking you to find some empathy in your hearts. Um, yeah, that's, that's my plea to you. (laughs) And I'd like to paraphrase um, what Michelle Williams said at the Golden Globes last year about how when you vote, to please vote in your own self-interest because it's what white men have been doing for centuries. So fucking true. (laughs) Um, And one last thing I'll say about this is just, um, I know maybe we sometimes come off as judgy when we talk about the election. It really is, for me anyways, I can't speak for Jeffrey, but for me, it's really coming from a place of fear. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I'm scared of what this will mean for the world if you keep legitimizing a racist, homophobic, misogynistic man who doesn't give a fuck about sick people for a pandemic that has killed 230,000 people. Like, I'm scared that that's going to legitimize... like-minded people around the world yeah and that's not what the world needs no so that's it that's all i'm gonna say i'll I'll echo that i agree okay perfect (laughs) so thank you guys so much for listening we will see you next week with our last episode our season finale uh see you soon take care vote yes thank you for listening bye